As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, just have to use a little input. Hey! Squeak a little thing, do a little dance, make a little love, and do a podcast tonight. This week on Dueling Review, we take a look at James Bond Special Service. It's a one-shot. In contemporary politics, where Britain's world standing is often more zero than 007, an assassin plans to exterminate the special relationship and lead Britain and the United States into a very dark place, especially when he does so, aiming down the sights of an ancient Einfeld rifle. It'll test Bond's deadly talents to their limits in order to defeat the assassin and avert certain geopolitical disaster. With James Bond... Yes. We are, especially in the movie franchise, I don't know if they yes. still make James Bond books, because Ian Fleming is dead, and I don't know if they have someone else writing stuff. But... They do in as much as there are Bond books that came after Fleming's passing, but I don't know how current they are or up to date or anything. Yeah, now this book from um, Kieran Gillen mm -hmm. and Antonio Fuso mm -hmm. is definitely a very modern take on James <laughs> Bond, like ripped from the headlines kind of stuff, right? Like this has to take place post-Brexit in early 2017 <laughs> kind of time, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I, I find that very fascinating because here are people that are total nationalists that want to protect the crown at all cost from or I guess protect the identity of Britain at all cost mm -hmm. and want to take it to maybe a bit of an extreme, especially when in the opening pages of this issue, uh, one of the American consulate diplomats, whoever basically insults state. Yeah, yeah, basically insults Britain by saying, well, you know. They're not much of a superpower anymore, and they're not really much help to us. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Britain has anything to offer America is fiction. Yeah. Yeah. What a douche. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, I could see something like that being said by somebody <laughs> in politics. Not mentioning any names, but rhymes with Flex Billerson. <laughs> um, and I think that that right there really kind of underlines what does and doesn't work in James Bond stories for me, because there's a scene early in here where he's talking with Felix Leiter. No, I don't think it's Felix because the guy gets shot. And I don't think. Felix. Oh, does he? Okay. Because I was like, is this Felix? And then I didn't think it was, but okay. If it is good. He's like, well, Felix, and they're talking and, and the, the guy is like, well, it's a nationalistic time. You guys should understand that as well as yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. And just a really cavalier, jerkwad kind of way of dealing with it. And it it really, I said this out loud when I finished reading the book, they found a way to make James Bond work. And 
all it really took was destabilizing the governments of three major countries in the space of six months. That's really the bit that makes this story work again. James Bond in a Cold War setting, you know, 1963, are the Russians out to get us? Oh, my God, Dr. No has an island with his face on it. But that didn't necessarily work by 1982. And you get to Timothy Dalton in that post-Cold War Bond, and it's all weird and creepy to the point where they actually had to deconstruct it again with the Daniel Craig Bond. This is really interesting because this feels like a classic Bond kind of study. Maybe to a maybe to an extent. I mean, it's not Thunderball, that's for sure. No, no, no. Um, but it, I mean, it has some trappings of that a little bit in that this is something that's taking place on uh, British soil. So he does. He's not issued again. That's kind of the uh, the right. whole point of this issue. Um, but he tracks down this guy that has been sending MI6 these mysterious messages encrypted and within a page he tracks the guy down to the boarding house uh decrypts the code and everyone figures out what's going on Uh, probably the greatest moment is an old world war ii the uh, the bad guy has Mm -hmm. uh set up an old world war ii hand grenade to booby trap his his apartment or his boarding house room Mm -hmm. bond sets it off when he breaks open the door and then as the house is burning uh he is calling headquarters he's scanning for fingerprints and Uh the landlady is like uh here's your cup of coffee well here's your cup of tea and the fire department's there you know putting things out the old lady's standing there he's you know doing all of his uh, james bond secret service stuff and then at the end he just uh turns around walks back to her and says hey i really appreciate the coffee uh it hit the spot and she's just standing there while her house burns (laughs) And that really works. And, you know, we we complain about can you do spycraft detective stories in an era when everyone is carrying a supercomputer with a high resolution camera? Right. And this gets past that as well, because Bond is wearing glasses that serve as a phone and an uplink and taking pictures and scanning for prints and all of these things. And it feels, you know, it feels natural in that context of James Bond with the laser printer sword and the uh, car that goes underwater in that really awesome movie. Yeah. So in the end, I mean, James Bond wins. They stop uh, the assassination of the um, secretary of of state. Yeah. The secretary of state. And they do it in a way that shows that uh, Britain still has some use and can be a bond actually ends it with a one-liner he's like but isn't it a useful fiction indeed and the secretary of state's like i nearly got killed you guys yeah although bond is super smart because he had fired the gun previously and knew that it was going to be off so he let the uh the, the bad guy the assassin take a pop shot at uh at the secretary knowing that it would miss and then he killed him uh just to kind of prove the point well, and that's, you know, we've reviewed some of ID. Is this Dynamite? Or no, this ID? is Dynamite Entertainment. Dynamite's Bond before has mm-hmm. gone really back to basics to the point where this James Bond is not necessarily the kindly Roger Moore, you know, warm laugh put on a clown suit. Right. This is this is a, an Ian Fleming Bond who's a killer and yeah. kind of a brute. And at the end of the, the episode, M is just like off the record. What you did was inexcusable. Good thing this is all off the record. Yeah. And it's just throughout this, this is a more grounded bond. This is that dynamite bond who's dealing with more of a an actual spy craft expectation where 
you don't walk in and announce your name loudly and play Baccarat and tell them how you take your drink. This is more of a, just an anonymous guy wandering around in an anonymous suit. And occasionally he murders people. Well, and so maybe that's part of the a little bit of the problem that I have with this. This, as I said, does feel a little bit like Thunderball in that it didn't have as much action. Uh, it also feels like maybe the first uh, two thirds of Dr. No, you know, before he gets to the island and things start blowing up kind of stuff. So <laughs> it is kind of grounded in more of the uh, this is what real life likes uh real life is like mm-hmm. but i wonder if why is this an mi6 operation and not an mi5 operation i think he the the guy was specifically sending the messages to mi6 mm-hmm. because historically during the war the outfit that he claims that he would have belonged to would have answered to mi6 or okay at that point, they may have been the OSS. I don't remember. how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a so that's one thing that I had kind of a bit of a problem with is like, OK, so I can kind of understand this, but it's kind of in my mind. And I don't know how MI6 and MI5 work because I'm not uh, into the whole spy thing, but I believe it's akin to the CIA. Well, that's what I was saying. That's what I was getting to. Right. Uh, there's the FBI, which I would see, see as MI5 and CIA is MI6. CIA is not authorized to operate inside the United States. Maybe MI6 is a little bit different, but that's the that's the uh, part that I was a little confused on. The other thing is, and I don't know if this is because of page count or just needing to get the story moving, but in one page, Bond goes to a post office, I'm guessing, and within two pages, we know who the suspect is. Or yep. within one page. And I, I'm not really clear how the connection is made because it's not being used in uh, text, which I thought was rather interesting. But instead, they use pictographs uh, mm-hmm. to explain how this guy with the tattoo on the back of his head and where he lives is is at. I'm, right. I'm, that was maybe a little bit confusing in this story. I read that and the whole sequence with him ending up at the house and the explosion, finding the the thumbprint, getting everything squared away. To me, that read as an example of James Bond, well, professional spy. Yeah. So once he gets to the boarding this, house in this amateur context, this guy is not, you know, right. Not at all secretive. He's got this massive tattoo on the back of yeah. his head. Well, when he gets to the when he gets to the boarding house, I, you know, that's all that's all fine. But it's it's that beginning sequence where he goes to the mm-hmm. post office. He runs into, I'm guessing, a postal worker who says. You know, oh, it's a guy with bald head with a, a tattoo on the back of his head. I think he lives over in this house. Right. He goes to the house. He talks to the landlady. And again, this is all in pictograph form. So right. we're we're putting a lot of assumptions in there, kind of like back in the day when I was reading German uh, translations of Asterix and trying to figure out what that meant in English. Uh, <laughs> you know, it it kind of felt like that. It's it's you really have to pay attention to the visuals to know that he's going to the post office. He's you know showing them packages and trying to to move things along. And I think that that sequence is there specifically to move the story forward as quickly as possible. I I think it still works. But but, well, but here's the thing. If it were that easy to figure out where this guy lived, this mystery should have been solved 10 packages ago. Nah, I, I disagree. I think that he finally got their attention. He's enough of a threat to be a threat. But the clear implication is he's not enough of a threat for someone who's actually in the espionage game to be even slowed down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really felt like a 
the professionals are here and this kid's playing hopscotch while James is figuring everything out. Yeah. And, you know, notice Bond does kind of burn down his home. <laughs> so well, Yeah. Uh, also, he's not a lone nut. He is working with like a supremacist group, a nationalist uh, white. Well, that's basically what they are. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, they are inside the actual museum where they store all these old weapons. Uh, so it's it makes for an interesting uh, fight sequence at the end of the end of the piece. And it's it's very well done. It's another example of I like the fact that Bond, while clearly smarter and well trained and much, much, much more capable than the people he's trailing. Mm -hmm. He's not infallible. He gets sucker punched. He gets taken out. He gets dragged into the midst of this. They almost kill him. But he talks his way out of it, or rather, he sets right. it up to where they talk themselves out of it. Right. It all feels like James really is playing a game fourth dimensionally above their heads. And there's there's actually a moment at the beginning of the story that I think kind of locks the whole thing down for me, where M is telling him, we can't have this happen. You can't let the American get killed here. And he's like, yes, killing extra dimension. <laughs> Killing extra national threats on English soil is my job. Yeah. And M is like, that's extremely dark. Yeah. But not inaccurate. Yeah. I, I, I really like the way that plays out because it gets you into the conflict and into the story because Bond really is that good. I can see your, your, your thing, but I didn't feel it when I was reading. So I, I thought this was a good, I thought this was a good story. I mean, if people just kind of want a modern James Bond thing, that's probably more grounded in reality and doesn't require someone sliding down the side of a mountain inside of a cello case. Hey, um, what's wrong with a cello case? Uh, so many things are wrong with that movie. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but I think this is a good you story. You probably like Skyfall. Actually, Skyfall is really good. I, I really, I really like that a lot. And that, and, and so there are a lot of those kind of elements in this book as well. So, um, I think people might want to check this out. I agree. And this is, this is two things that I don't necessarily immediately gravitate towards. Bond is not necessarily my bag. When I do love Bond, I usually love it for reasons counter to what real Bond fans tell me. So like the like silly what? moments. Well, like Roger Moore hanging out with Buford T. Justice. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the goofiness there. I really love Never Say Never Again. Yeah, no, there's Even nothing wrong with that. It's a retelling of Thunderball. I yeah. didn't mind the Timothy Dalton Bond movies that tried to be gritty and ended up being, you know, generic 80s flicks. So, and I was not impressed with that first, was it Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig movie? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did not like Casino Royale, but this manages to it takes Bond just like whole cloth and sticks him in the year 2017. It takes 2017's things and trappings and hats around him and says, OK, just imagine 1963 Bond in 2017 and all the crazy stuff that's actually happening is happening in the book. Right. And it works for me. It yeah. works really well. Yeah. No, I thought it was good. I thought it was solid. The art is fine. Uh, it is stylized. So, uh, you know, don't yeah, be looking Fuso, for. So has a, a very angular, heavy black style, but it's awesome stuff. Yeah. And so I think it's worth checking out. But if, if you're looking for, you know, 
yes, there are some gadgets, but if you're looking for the Roger Moore level of gadgetry where he's mm-hmm. crossing the water inside of a crocodile sub, uh, that's that's not going to happen. Uh, not in uh, this book, but it's it's still very going to happen. It's never going to happen again. <laughs> never say never again, Matthew. I did say it and you can't stop me. Coming out next week from Dark Horse Comics, we have Aliens, Dead Orbit number two, Lobster Johnson, Pirate's Ghost number three, and Visitor, How and Why He Stayed number four. That's the penultimate issue there. DC Comics has Flash 23. Now, remember, next week is a a real fifth week. So the offerings from your uh, publishers is going to be probably greatly reduced. Um, So we have uh, Gotham City Garage Wonder Woman statue comes out. That's a pretty cool statue, but it's 350 bucks. Oh, the other one that's going to be very interesting is Teen Titans Lazarus Contract Special Number One. Looking forward to that. And the Wonder Woman Annual Number One. Hey, just in time for a movie. Also, if you're a fan of the old uh, John Byrne Wonder Woman, uh, that gets a hardcover collection uh, nice. next week as well. That's only 40 bucks. Uh, probably that's worth not old. Out. That was from 96. It's only 20 for years ago. For most of the people that listen to our show, <laughs> that's old. <laughs> I wasn't in even born context. when John Byrne started writing Wonder Woman. In the context of Wonder Woman 1994, ain't old. No, uh, definitely not, but definitely worth checking out. IDW Publishing has Back to the Future, Biff to the Future number five, Donald Duck at number 20, Judge Dread, Blessed Earth number two, Mask, the Mobile Armored Strike Command number seven. Mighty power that can save the day. Winona Earp, Yearbook Trade Paperback, and X-Files number 14. Image Comics has Black Road number 10, Elephant Men 2260, that's a trade paperback. Uh, Monstrous, number 12, and Sex Criminals, number 19. And that one has a triple X mature rated variant cover by Annie Wu. I kind of actually want to see this because I like Annie Wu, uh, her her style on things. So I kind of want to see that cover. Um, but it is triple X, so mm, got to be careful. Over at Marvel Comics, we have yeah, Cable, number one. Here. Look at that. Cable's finally getting his own series after all these decades. Um, Gamora number five, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mother Entropy number five. That is the last issue of that, Matthew. I, I think you were reading that, or no, you were reading Mother Panic. That's what yes. you were reading. Okay. Uh, Gwynpool number 16, The Runaways. Uh, again, uh, we've been teasing The Runaways, uh, from Marvel this week. We did see another one show up, and The Runaways trade paperback volume four also arrives next week. Secret Empire number three of 10 now. Star Wars Dr. Afra number seven. Uh, and also uh, Star Wars Darth Maul number two arrives. Those are, That's a, a second printing right there. In all the rest category, we have Animal Jam number one that Rodrigo reviewed this week on the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor, year three, number two, with a Gallifrey variant. Mm. Kind of like those Gallifreyan designs that they throw on everything. Yeah. Seals and flippy hats and such. Yeah. Grim Fairy Tales, number six. Josie and the Pussycats, number seven. Lady Castle, number four. Little Nightmares, number one. Let's see, what else do we have? We have No World, number two. Space Riders, Galaxy of Brutality, number one. That's a second printing. Must have been popular enough. Spencer and Locke, number two, arrives. And finally, be sure to be on the lookout for Vamp Blade, season two, number three. It's all coming out next week from your comic book publishers. Make sure you head over to your local comic shop and check out what they have to offer. Blood Bowl. More guts, more glory. Number one, written by Nick Kine, with art by Jack Chadson, Nelson Ferreira, and Sandra Ribeiro. The most vicious and dangerous fantasy football tournament you will ever 
encounter and given how much sport Steven and I know, that's important. Dive into the action as a ragtag team of humans, the Hockland Harbingers. Harbingers? Attempt to claw their way to the top of the Blood Bowl League. Can Drang Sturmblood, former star player who's crashed to rock bottom, help the Harbingers fend off the terrifying opposition? Bone-crunching sports action in the fantasy world of Warhammer, written by Nick Kime, with art by Jack Jadson. A brand new edition of the board game has been a runaway success, adding to the game's global appeal and huge fan base. You can show your support for this show and everything we do at Major Spoilers by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Go over there and check it out, patreon.com slash major spoilers. See what we have to offer, and if you enjoy this show, if you would like it, and you think it's worth two bucks a month, we'd certainly appreciate you signing up and joining, or if you like all of our other shows, uh, we've got, what, five shows uh, that we do on a very regular basis, on a weekly basis. I think we do something like ten overall in a month, but if uh, you think uh, those are each worth two bucks a month, then sign up for $10 a month and get a bunch of other bonus content as well, like um, T-shirts and uh, cards and original art and a lot more. Your contribution goes right back into Major Spoilers, helps us keep this show and everything that we do at Major Spoilers uh, going, pays for our growing costs, and gives us the motivation to produce more for you each and every week. Thank you so much for checking out Dueling Review, and we will talk with you next time when you will hear Matthew say, It's not you, it's me. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.